I just can't tell you how much I think uh, what you're missing if you're not camping and reading through the passage and learning how to meditate. And that's what we want to do here at uh, Chesterton Baptist. We want to be a biblical church that really is grounded in the revelation that God has given to us about his son. And then then taking that into um, a a meditative state where you're thinking and learning and asking questions. And in the book of Acts, as we're we're going today to think about uh, what the Spirit of God is doing, uh, the Spirit miracles is what I call them, as uh, as I went into this passage, I thought it would be so easy just to read the passage and go on. And as I stopped and I camped again and I thought and meditated, uh, it was more encouraging to me as I thought, Lord, this is so good. And I'm encouraged to share with you this morning some good things uh, that will stimulate you and 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 the, the way maker, uh, miracle worker, uh, you notice that the promises of God enlighten the darkness. Those themes, the, the theme this morning is about watching the Spirit of God at work, healing in these texts. And that was the theme of, as you go through the singing, uh, that first song we didn't know much about. That was a, but, but I thought we need to learn some of these songs. But as you go into today, I, I want to, introduce a word to you as a new word for me. Uh, I like learning words, but we're going to look at uh, a word in particular that has to do with these three stories of Paul, Aeneas, and Dorcas. And the word I want to teach you is the word imbrigate. And how many know what imbrigate means? Nobody knows what the word But it's a perfect word uh, that fits this because it has to do with the overlapping connections and, and uh, the relationships where things are put in place in such a way that they serve a greater purpose. Imbrigate, uh, overlap. Uh, you will see this when you look up at, at, at a beautiful uh, summer day and you see all these leaves are just kind of postured in a way that they allow the light to come through. But this word is, uh, means where there's meanings that lie on top of each other. Well, these are what you have in the book of Acts. You've got these stories that are going to come together to, to fulfill a, a, a bigger picture, bigger purpose. And of course, as you get into the book of Acts, uh, we call it the Acts of the Apostles. We don't see it we don't think about it being the acts of the Holy Spirit working in these individual lives in the church. And therefore, sometimes when you look at the particular particulars, you won't get the bigger picture, which is what T.S. Eliot would say in his book on the four quartets. It says that sometimes you will have an experience and really miss the meaning. Well, that happens all too often. And so how many times when you think, when you read through the, the scriptures, you're reading through it with your own particular, specific uh, cultural glasses, personality glasses, doctrinal glasses, and you really miss the bigger picture? Well, for example, when you hear the word church, and you hear that word that we hear so often in our in our context, we don't realize something that there's something far bigger than church. But do you know how many times the word church 
is used in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Can you guess? Not 3,000. Three. Only three times. The idea of a church was not in the forefront of the writers of the New Testament and, and the Gospels. And the reason why is because there's something much larger that overlays their concept. In uh, the church, it's used uh, ecclesia. It means the called out ones, those ones who are set apart for a fellowship. But the word church is used later on. Paul talks a lot about the churches, but the churches are the called ones who are coming out to tell their stories. But there's something even far greater than church. When Jesus was teaching his men, the focus was the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. 128 times in the gospel. Matthew uses it 55 times. And, and so this idea that there's, there's something happening in the New Testament that motivated the, the early disciples that we've kind of forgotten. We've kind of focused in on, on our organizational structures and our concepts of the church. But the kingdom of God is what the book of Acts is all about. And so as we get in today, I want to look at this movement, this work that the Spirit, the Spirit is doing because as Jesus said, we want to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else is going to call, uh, fall into place. And so let me begin uh, moving into this context to open your eyes and embrigate all these things together with this sentence. God's spirit builds the kingdom of God by building spirit-filled relationships embrigated life by life who live and move in a fallen world telling their stories with love, truth, and grace. The Spirit of God builds the kingdom of God by building spirit-filled, spirit-controlled, spirit-led, spirit-empowering relationships, touching each other life by life, overlapping, sharing your stories with your heart set free as you live and move in a fallen world and telling your stories how God comes in to live through you as a community. Well, this theme of, of God in you, the Spirit working in you, you'll see in the book of Acts. And I want you to see here at Chesterland as well. But Paul would say it this way, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking and getting your life together and having a good time in the social group that you're in, but the kingdom of God is rightness right relationships, a righteousness, a thing that God has a blueprint for that says, you are who I made you to be until you get back to that right design. You're going to have all kinds of issues. And when you get back, when you're made right with God, there is a peace. There's a deep shalom, a deep settledness, a deep rightness that you know it fits. It feels right. 
And that's the source of joy. Because once you're flowing with, with God's design and you're doing his will, nothing can touch you. Uh, you're just so secure in the love of Christ. And so, again, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to reconfigure our lives and our understanding of Christ and his kingdom work. And once we get right with Christ and align our purposes with his, he enlightens us to see Jesus Christ in all of his fullness, bringing all of that to each one of us. I'm telling you, the Christian life is the greatest thing. I can't, I can't imagine anything else that would be more deep, wonderful, awesome. I love being a Christian. I'm 67. I can't wait to get old. And yet, <laughs> and yet, it's a lot of times I find myself like the Israelites walking in the wilderness. And you walk around and you think, oh, I've been here before, but I, I don't get it. And I have to stop and camp. Again, T.S. Eliot said, we shall not cease from exploring, from exploration. And the end of all of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. All of a sudden you become, ah, I got it. And that for me is one of the greatest things. It's like the Christian life is like 500 piece puzzle. And so you put, every day God gives a little bit more information, puts a piece. And, and so you find these things going together. I love that part when he does that. And he's been doing that. And so I'm, I'm tickled. I love to do that. But one of the things as you get into the New Testament, and, and as we're talking about today, our narrow-minded focus tends to think about the Bible in a certain way, and God wants to enlarge our picture. And one way is to understand that healing, that when you read this in the New Testament, you may read it just as a healing of, of Paul or Aeneas or Dorcas, and you will miss the bigger picture. But understanding that healing means more than getting well. There were 10 lepers who were healed, but not all 10 understood the big picture. Only one returned back to Christ. There's more going on than the miracles that you will see. And what it means is the kingdom of God is breaking through the cosmos, integrating heaven and earth, making my heart right, bringing a community together, and they call it the church. Those who are called out. Well, this gets exciting. But as you get into the story, and I won't get into all of Paul's story, but you know at the end of the story, we come to uh, Acts 9.31, where, where Luke brings this story to a close, that the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed shalom. They enjoyed something was taking place in these communities where the Spirit of God broke through and they were being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and it continued to increase. Now, notice here, again, the church, the called out ones, are moving out of Jerusalem and they're moving into Judea, into Galilee, and you're here in Acts 9 in the area of Palestine. And we'll look at that in a minute. But the question is, they had peace. And if you only looked at that little section, you will miss the bigger picture. Why do they have peace? 
because they got rid of Paul's old persecuting, raging rabbinical attitudes. God touched the persecutor. And when God touched the violent aggressor and made the aggressor at peace, then there was peace in the land. And that, that old phrase, when there's peace in the heart, there's peace in the home. When there's peace in the home, there's peace in the city. When there's peace in the city, there's peace in the land. God will work through this way, not outside in, inside out. And therefore, there was peace because God took care of Paul. <laughs> and therefore, the persecution stopped. And, there, and therefore, there was freedom to grow now, there are two ways I talked about last week to deal with the resistant and the misled, people who have evil intent or they're just not aligned with the purposes of God. And one is to fight them, argue with them, debate them. And the other is to set them free. The demoniac who was put outside the community because he couldn't get along with anybody, put him in jail, set him in prison. Uh, that guy, Jesus says, no, no, heal him. Heal him. Set those de demons free. So when the demoniac was healed, he was setting in his right, righteous, good, designed relationship with God. And Christ freed him, just like he freed Paul. So at the end of last week, I mentioned that that. There's a practical part of when the Holy Spirit does his work. There's a practical part, and this was the last part, that Paul was affirmed as everyone who comes into Christ, uh, into the, the called community, need to be affirmed, need to be welcomed, need to be accepted. And, and to know that we have a shepherd who will deal with those wolves. He will deal with the persecutors. He will deal with the issues that would try to split us up. That's what he does. He's a good shepherd. And those who follow him publicly identified with Christ uh, throughout the region. They did it through baptism, which, by the way, next month we're going to have a baptism. And there'll be three of us, uh, at least three, maybe others, if you want to be baptized, let me know, because we're going to have a celebration. And at that time, I would like to also include a time for a prayer for healing and a prayer for um, joining the church. If you need some questions answered, talk to one of the deaconesses or the deacons and, and ask somebody. I, I, I'd like to be part of this. This is going to be a special time. But they identify with Christ publicly, not only in-house, but out-house, well, not out-house, outside the, the church. And so we, we have a public witness. And, and one of the things about that community, as you'll see in the book of Acts, is that they trusted, they trusted each other. They trusted when God sends spirit-filled believers to guide the community of faith. All right. With that as the background, let me again point to the fact that Jesus understood that when he moved into whatever area and whatever relationships, the Holy Spirit was guiding the Lord. And when the Pharisee says, well, wait a minute, uh, you're, you're doing this, you're casting out demons by the devil. They really misunderstood Jesus. And Jesus answered, but... If I, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
And again, that theme, that, that, that big picture that the Spirit of God is building us up in the kingdom of God, and it's the Spirit of God who does it one by one, taking us to understand that the mission is to bring the cross and the resurrection into our very lives. And this is what Jim Peterson from the Navigators wrote in his book, The Insider. They know how God is at work. And therefore, we here at CBC want to understand more about that. And as we read this text, what we find is this. And this is why I think this is so important, that when you read what Jesus did in the Gospels, what he did in Capernaum, what he did in Capernaum uh, with the paralytic there, he did with Jairus' daughter, he did with the raising of Lazarus. When you see Jesus doing his ministry by the Spirit, the same thing takes place in the book of Acts. And so what you find is what Jesus did in his ministry in the, in, as a man, the Holy Spirit does in his ministry through men and women. It's the same thing. And that connection had to be established that this is not separate from that. This New Testament fulfillment is the Old Testament promise. It's all coming together. It's imbrigated. It's overlapping. And so what you have is a man who's blind, uh, Saul. He, he was touched by God and he was touched to the point of breaking him down. He fell. No longer would he rely on what he saw, but he would rely on what he heard, who the Lord was. Same for these two stories with Aeneas and Dorcas. So let's look at these quickly. Miracle one, and I had fun with this. Miracle one was Paul, and you know the story, but let me put it in a fun way that you won't remember, but you'll have fun with this. So I'm playing around. There was a proud man named Saul, who thought Jesus made no sense at all. The believers he sought prayed a miracle wrought, and Saul became Paul after all. <laughs> that was fun. What took place in the greatest Pharisee that lived was a kingdom transformation. And that kingdom took a man intelligent, confident, independent, in the flesh, who said, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own, among my own people. And I was extremely zealous. I mean, I had it together. Nobody did it better than me, said Paul. And he boasted because Paul had the capacity to boast. Paul had the resources intellectually, physically, he was so good at everything except the kingdom of God stuff. <laughs> And therefore, he had a system that was tough to beat because he controlled his world. He was successful in his world. But when the Spirit of God came, he said, this was all rubbish. I was shown mercy because I was acting in ignorance and unbelief. There's the confession. The Messiah Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost, the chieftain, the worst of them all. What a shift of attitude. The man was broken. Paul understood 
that he wouldn't get to heaven by his performance or by his good works. I testify about them, he says in Romans 10, his fellow Pharisees and Jewish people who try to keep the law, that they have a zeal for God. They have an experience with God. They go to worship in their system and they do very well and they like what they do, but not in accordance with knowledge. You see, you can have religion. You can have religious experience. You can fall in love with the love of falling in love with the journey of falling in love with the being religious and spiritual and and you'll miss it. It's easy to get caught up in religion, religious experience, and think that's God. It's not God, he says. It's not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and what God has revealed on the cross and the revealed as righteous way of salvation, you, you, you don't substitute your experience by saying, well, that doesn't matter. I just feel close to God when I do X. I'm spiritual. I don't need organized religion. I don't, well, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. They're going to figure out a way like Paul. But Paul came to the point of saying he saved us, not on the basis of what deeds we have done or based on on any basis of what we have done or believe or think. It's not based on us, but based on his mercy by the washing, and get this, by the regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. Titus 3.5. And so Paul had to learn to shift his focus off of trusting himself to trusting the Holy Spirit that Christ was healing him, and he did. Not only did Paul have to do that, but Paul affected other people around him because it's life on life. Those in Damascus had to trust God because Paul was a wild guy. And, and for them to accept Paul, radically show Paul a grace, but to understand that God was bringing in a whole new weapon. This mighty man of God named Paul would suffer mightily. And therefore the believers need to offer him a new relationship. I'm, I'm with you, Paul. I'll support you, Paul. I'm right behind you. To the point that in Damascus, they tried to get rid of Paul. They, Paul was being persecuted. And who came to the rescue? The body of Christ. And so they let him down over the wall, 30 feet down in that basket. In Jerusalem, he went to Jerusalem. The same thing happened. The believers had to trust God for Paul. Was this conversion real? What happened? Because he was on our side. Now he's over there. he He was against us, and now he's come to join us. And they, too, had to accept Saul. They, too, understood that this was a unique situation. And they, too, had to offer the support. This is, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's life on life in these different communities. And there they took Paul out to a boat and said, Paul, you need some time away. And Paul, for the first time after his conversion, went home to Tarsus. And there the story stops and Paul needs to go on a personal retreat to get his head screwed on because there are so many things that the Spirit of God had to change in him. All right. Persecu- persecution's over. Paul is in the process of healing. Now that story, you would think, in and of itself contained is enough. But God doesn't stop because it's life story after life story. And here comes 
a, a, a story that you would never hear about. Famous name, named Paul, and a known name like Aeneas. How many of you guys know about Aeneas? You read over him, you forget his name is not Ananias, it's Aeneas. It's a different guy. So let's look at Aeneas. His name was Aeneas, not a Jewish name. It's a Greek combination from Greek mythology, the son of the Greek goddess Aphrodite, Aphrodite and, and the mortal shepherd named Antisus. Well, we don't care about that. We just know that, okay, he's not Jewish. He's Gentile. Now that's important because the gospel's moving into Palestine. Here's this man in Palestine. Uh, his hometown was Lod. Here's where the camping takes place. And you meditate and you do a little digging. Lod. Now nothing else is said about Lod. You don't know about Lod. It's not Lot. It's Lod. And he's not identified with his family. It's not um, Ananias Bar blank, fill in the blank with dad's name, like Simon Bar Jonah. It's not Ananias, son of so-and-so. We don't know anything else about this guy. We have a lot of information about Saul, very little information about Ananias, but his dad and mom aren't, aren't mentioned. No connection with family or friends, but look at this. He lives in this city called Lod. And Lod, is, you'll see on the map, is Lydda. Lydda is over on the east side. You see the mountain range right there. But it's in this fertile plain where shepherds would take uh, their sheep and it's grassy, it's wonderful. It's, but you also notice, if you can see, it's a highway. It's kind of like... Chesterland Baptist, 302 and 306 come together. It's one of the main roads going north. Uh, it's an old city, a very old city, and it's a large city. But uh, one, one note, I thought, this is a strange number. It's 8,000 years old. I don't know if it's that old, but it's old. But in Hebrew, it's called Lod. In Greek, it's called Lydda. In Arabic, Alud. And immediately you get the idea, this is an international, this is a mixture. It's, it's not Jewish, it's not Gentile. There's a mixture going on in the city. And so here's where Aeneas lived. And you don't know much about Aeneas, except he lived in this hometown of Lod. A man who was paralytic. He was a man, not a child. Well, if you're a man in, in the Jewish system, you become of age, 15, 18, it, but he's not a young man, he's a man. And so now this guy has somehow in the course of his young life or early young life, 20, 30s, we don't know, it doesn't say, and you can't read into that, but you understand the issue is he, was, he became paralyzed. Now put yourself in his position as a young man, as a, young, as a man starting out, and all of a sudden, you can't work. Eight years he was paralyzed. We don't know much about the past. Luke doesn't tell about the past because it's not about the past. But there's some questions going on. Who was this guy? Was it an injury? Was he beaten up? Was it 
neurological, we don't know, except he was paralyzed. The details don't matter. What matters is the story that God's kingdom came to this no-name guy in a no-name place, and God works in the corners of the world. Peter found Aeneas. Peter was going down to Lydda because there were saints there. Now, the question I had was, Aeneas a believer? Was Aeneas an unbeliever? We don't know. So you have to meditate and think about this, but somehow or other, Peter got connected with this guy. Now, how did that happen? How did Peter get into Aeneas' life in his world? We know that through Peter, Aeneas came to know about Jesus Christ. And so it was Jesus who healed Aeneas. He was once helpless, his old story, but he was healed, his new story. And that's all we have of the story of Aeneas. But when he stood up and was publicly testifying of Christ, it's through this no-name man, Aeneas, in a no-name place, Lydda, that God's spirit came into a place that's non-Jewish, but he's breaking into the Hellenistic Palestinian realm. And people, when they heard his story, turned to the Lord. Okay, you ready for this one? There was a lame man from Lod who couldn't walk with his God. The believers said, Pete, have God healed his feet? And people began to applaud. All those who heard of his story, they turned to Christ because they saw the story in this man's life. If he was a believer. But if he was not a believer, I wrote this one. There was a lame man from Lod who worshiped a lame foreign god. His god didn't heal, but found Jesus Christ real, and people began to applaud. So I got both sides covered. The idea that God's kingdom is breaking into individuals' lives, and those stories are miracles that the rest of the world is watching. Let's go to Dorcas. You know about Dorcas? It's a fun story. Again, nobody knows about Dorcas. She, <laughs> ready? There was a disciple named Dorcas who lay now just as a corpus. Two men called Peter by name. Quickly to Joppa he came and the spirit healed her on purpose. <laughs> I had fun with this. Look where Dorcas, uh, <laughs> Peter was in Lydda with Aeneas, and Peter had to go to Joppa. Where's Joppa? Look over to the seacoast and you'll see it. Ten miles away, two guys came from Joppa to Lydda, and guess what happened? Peter had a 10-mile walk with these two guys back to Joppa. What did they talk about? That'd be an interesting conversation. As you think about Dorcas, and you think about what they did on a 10-mile walk, that's a good day's walk, they learned this. Her name was Dorcas. Dorcas was Greek. Again, you're not strictly Jewish. You're in a Hellenistic, Palestine, mixed, mixed cultures. Her name was Dorcas, uh, which means gazelle. Beautiful, graceful beauty. Uh, 
In Aramaic and Hebrew, it's called Tabitha. And Peter, thinking about healing and knowing Jesus had healed, was moving towards her because she was a believer. She was a disciple. And for a woman to be educated as a, as a disciple at that time said a whole lot about her. She was an educated, mature learner. And she knew people. Her heart was spirit-filled, and she was growing in Christ. How she came to know Christ, we don't know. But the fact that she did know Christ and was part of a community that she served, well, she was our Alice. She was a seamstress. She knew how to sew like nobody's business. She was a a professional, and she cared for a network of people. She constantly was moving to find out what people needed. This was Dorcas. People loved Dorcas. We don't know if she was married. We don't know her family. We don't know if she had kids. But it seems that she died as a single woman. Maybe she was married. Maybe she was widowed. No mention again of any other connections except she was an older lady who had many friends among other widows. So I'm thinking... I don't know how old, doesn't say. It's not the point. But the point is, again, the kingdom of God comes in to a little town, to a no-name person who really is God's child. And Jesus heals Dorcas. So you read there that Dorcas died and they prepared her body in typical Hebrew fashion. And she was in the middle of her funeral when Peter comes and says, rise up. Amazing story. It doesn't give a whole lot of details about the reaction, except that Dorcas, Dorcas, like Lazarus, came alive in the resurrection for the Spirit of God touched one who was dead. Now, what did Paul, Aeneas, Dorcas have in common? Notice this. All three, all three were stuck in a condition that they could not move. All three uh, needed the Holy Spirit to set them free from their, their condition. All three came to know the grace of God through outside friends who moved into their world and touched them through the Spirit of God. Isn't that wonderful? What do we in Chesterland have in common with Paul, Aeneas, and Dorcas? Think about it. God has preserved these three stories overlapping in their context. What's it have to do with us 2,000 years later? It touches us the same way because it's the same Holy Spirit bringing the same kingdom of God, doing the same thing in our lives. We too can be stuck in a condition, in a narrow-mindedness, and not be moving. We too need the Holy Spirit to set us free. We too can share the stories of grace we each have. You see, one of the problems, like Paul had, is that our notion and our understanding of the church can be one of the biggest obstacles to understanding how the Spirit of God works. 
Let me say that again. Our notion of church can be one of our biggest obstacles in bringing others to Christ. The kingdom is about relational networks. The kingdom is about sharing stories and building loving disciples. And this is what God's Spirit does. The God's Spirit builds the kingdom of God by building spirit-filled relationships embrigated life on life, overlapping with hearts set free, who live and move in a fallen world, telling their stories of love, truth, and grace. Aeneas was completely dependent on others. Dorcas was dead. The Holy Spirit brought about the healing through Peter. The Holy Spirit brought about the healing through Peter. News spread abroad in both situations. And this gospel message was moving out Aeneas had a caring community. So did Dorcas. So do we. At Testament Baptist, the invitation for us is to understand that God is moving into our everyday relationships in no-name places and no-name people like ordinary folks like you and me to touch you so that you can touch others with the good news that God's Spirit is breaking into it his kingdom into our lives. Isn't that good news? That's the gospel. That's what we do here. We grow in Christ. Let's pray. Sometimes, Jesus, you're a mystery to us, and sometimes it's so very clear. And sometimes we just get ourselves in the way that we just don't allow your spirit to move us. And yet reading these stories of paralysis and blindness and death, you help us overcome. Father, would your spirit break through our small-mindedness and enlarge our understanding of how you move us in different ways. We want to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So would you help us do that? by giving us the wisdom of the Spirit and the freedom in Christ that we would honor you, God, our Father. And so we love you for what you do. Give us the, the meditation and guide us as we, as we really study your word and live it out in our relationships. And we thank you, thank you, thank you for this privilege of having you work in our lives. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.